Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. We're going to look at Psalm 23, and I'm going to continue something that I started last week, but the, this whole concept of a shepherd, it, it did get me thinking about moms, because, you know, now God has, has revealed himself as father, but within scripture, the way that he describes himself often describes characteristics that we would normally associate with moms. And the whole picture of a shepherd, to me, kind of makes that uh, association. Because, you know, shepherds, they take care of ones who cannot take care of themselves. They protect ones who cannot protect themselves. Well, what do moms do? Moms take care of little ones. They protect them. They provide for them. They guide them. They love them. They, you know, they really do shepherd their children. And so this is a good connection and a good picture. And so in that concept, what moms do, we can say that this is what Jesus, our shepherd, does. Jesus is the shepherd who takes care of the sheep. Now, I know that we all like to think we're pretty smart, we're pretty savvy, we can take care of ourselves. But in the grand scheme of things, especially within the grand scheme of the spiritual realm, we cannot take care of ourselves. That is why we are compared with sheep in Scripture as opposed to any other animals. Because sheep are helpless, they're one of the weaker animals, they're in need of constant help, in need of constant provision, in need of constant protection, in need of constant guidance. They're stubborn, not always that bright. I know y'all are thinking, wait a minute, is the pastor insulting us? Well, no, it's just the reality of things because guess what, I'm a sheep. I am very much a sheep. Sheep cannot survive on their own. Sheep need a shepherd. There was a rancher who once made this comparison between sheep and cows. And he alluded to the fact that if you take a cow and put her out in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere all by herself, in some way, shape, or form, she's going to make it. And if the cow gets stuck in something, she is going to fight and she is going to fight until she frees herself. But then this rancher said, now if you take a sheep, and you stick a sheep in the middle of nowhere, and that sheep gets stuck, all that silly thing is going to do is lie down and die, because it don't know no better, and it can't help itself. We are sheep. You know, I can't help but think of that viral video that kind of went went around like last year there was this sheep stuck in this little tight ravine and couldn't get out of that ravine and some guy was nice enough to to grab that sheep like by the back legs and pull that sheep out and the sheep goes bounding along for about 10 feet and then boom, jumps right back into that same ravine and gets stuck again you know, some moms might think, boy, if that ain't a description of my kid, I don't know what is. Well, guess what? That's a description of all of us. How often God, Christ as shepherd, pulls us out of something, and we just bound along and jump right back into the same thing. We are sheep. 
We don't necessarily like that comparison. I mean, you know, we'd like it a whole lot more if we were compared to something like a lion. Yeah, I want to be a lion. I don't want to be a sheep. I want to be a lion. The Bible does not say, the Lord is my lion tamer. I am king of the jungle. The Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. And it's a good thing he is, because we need that. We need a shepherd. And David writes about how the Lord is our shepherd. And I want us leaving here today with a greater knowledge of this good shepherd and what our relationship is to him and what it is that he does for us. And so it's a short psalm. Six verses. I would like to read those six verses if you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read these six verses. This is a psalm that David wrote. He said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. You are a shepherd. Yes, we are most definitely sheep, but you love us. You take care of us, and you sent Christ to die for us. You sent Christ to save us, and that's what we needed. A Savior shepherd. May he shepherd us in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So last week, I started a study on this psalm, and if you weren't here last week, I'll recap a little bit, but you can always listen to the podcast or watch the YouTube video if you would like, but I began the study of this psalm last week. I touched on four aspects of how Christ is our shepherd and and just some different parts of his his shepherding that he does for us. The first thing I I had mentioned is the shepherd's personal possession because through Christ we have been purchased and we belong to God through him. He knows us personally by name. We hear his voice and we follow him. We are his personal possession. He loves and cares for us so much. And then I touched upon the shepherd's perfect provision because God has given himself through Jesus Christ. We find our satisfaction in him and we are at peace knowing that he provides whatever we need for this journey on earth and he has provided our greatest spiritual, for our greatest spiritual need. I talked about the shepherd's refreshing revival because the lord is able to take our broken wrecked souls and restore them to complete fullness and then i talked about the shepherd's righteous road because there's only one path and that is the path of jesus christ and he leads us toward that which is right but let me pick up on the psalm from there because this psalm is just so rich this is such an important psalm So the first point for today, or if you want to call it number five for this whole series, is the shepherd's powerful protection. The shepherd's powerful protection. In verse four, it it says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
Because sometimes God does lead us on paths. He leads us, but sometimes those paths go through a valley, a very dark valley. Now, we naturally associate this psalm with, with death. That's why it's read at many a funeral, because it talks about the valley of the shadow of death. But there are other dark valleys that we go through in life. We might go through the valley of, the, of a sickness of a loved one. We might go through the valley of depression. We might go through the valley of a broken marriage, broken family, broken some other relationship. We might go through the valley of financial difficulties or job difficulties. But the dark valleys aren't always just personal problems. Sometimes the valleys can be strongholds of sin that we just cannot seem to shake. Some here might be in the valley of the root of bitterness. Some here might be in the valley of addiction, be it drugs, alcohol, pornography, food. Some might be in the valley of pride. Some might be in the valley of worry. There are a whole lot of dark valleys. And the thing is, in those dark valleys, there's enemies. See, the enemies know when to attack. When we're in the dark valley, we're, we're at our, our weakest. When we're in, in dark valley, we are are at our most vulnerable. But we're not alone. We're not alone in the valley. Now the, the, the psalm doesn't say that the shepherd takes us out of the valley. That's what we want. That's what we would prefer. But never does it say that the shepherd takes the sheep out of the dark valley. What does it say? Even though we're walking through the valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Praise God. He doesn't leave us alone in the valley. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't abandon us. He is there in the valley with us. And that is so needed because the enemy will attack us when we are at our most vulnerable, when we are at our weakest point. We, we become easy prey for that lion who seeks to devour us. But verse 4 uses wonderful word pictures to describe the protection that God gives us while we are in the valley of the shadow of death, whatever that valley might be for us. The psalmist says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's a picture, again, of a shepherd. As one commentator explained, the rod or the club was used by the shepherd to fight off wild animals. Most of the time, the flock did not know of the danger which threatened them. The battle for their safety took place outside the circle of their knowledge. As far as they knew, their lives were serene and secure, and they're just kind of merrily going on their way. But meanwhile, the shepherd was off fighting the enemy, protecting the sheep. And so it's telling us that, that God is protecting us even when we don't know he's protecting us. There's, there's not only physical enemies, there's spiritual enemies, there's visible enemies, but there's also invisible enemies. And the Lord is using the rod to protect us from them all. When we get to heaven, we are going to find out exactly how much our Lord protected us and we didn't even know it because our God protects 
the sheep in his pasture. And whether we're in the pasture, whether we're on the mountain, whether we're in the valley, he protects us from enemies. But not only does it talk about a rod, it talks about the staff. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. And so that same commentator explained that that the shepherd used this staff primarily as a tool to control the sheep. If a sheep was acting contrary to the wishes of the shepherd or contrary to its own good or contrary to the good of the flock, then the shepherd would use the staff and, you know, it's maybe it was kind of like the, you know, what we think of as a shepherd's staff with that little hook on the end to pull sheep back into line, to discipline the sheep. Sometimes the shepherd would have to only give a gentle nudge. Other times he'd have to give a pretty sharp tug. That was painful because the sheep wouldn't act right. So think about this. In the valley, the shepherd doesn't only protect us from enemies. The shepherd protects us from ourselves. As the cliche goes, sometimes we can be our own worst enemies. We are prone to wander. We are prone to get ourselves into trouble. We are prone to jump right back into the same ravine that God already pulled us out of. In the dark valleys, we are prone to take paths that are not meant for us. We think that they are shortcuts out of the dark valley, but they are not meant for us. That is not God's way, and so the Good Shepherd protects us from ourselves. Isn't it good to know we have a shepherd who loves us enough to protect us from ourselves? He protects us from enemies. He's got the rod, but he also has the staff. He protects us from our own stupidity. I don't know about you, I I need that a whole lot. And so it's good to know that even when we're in the darkest valleys, the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to fear because he is with us. And he brought his rod and his staff along with him. But not only does this psalm talk about the shepherd's powerful protection, the next, I guess number six, It talks about the shepherd's supernatural serenity, peace. Because in verse 5 it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Whoever those enemies might be, God is still able to keep us at peace. He's able to give us serenity of soul and mind. Even when we're surrounded by troubles and trials and, and enemies of all sorts. See, what this psalm is referring to is, I mean, sheep are kind of skittish. Sheep are very skittish. And and if there was an enemy within the general vicinity of a sheep, be it a wolf, be it a robber or something, I don't know, whatever, the sheep would be so scared and they would just be so alert to the threat, they wouldn't take time out to eat. They, they, They just couldn't. They were too skittish. I mean, we kind of sort of get that. Like whenever you get anxious, you're worried about something, you can't eat, you're stressed about something, you, you, you have no peace, and without peace, you're not able to function like, like normal, you're not able to have that tranquility, the serenity that you would normally have. Now, King David knew about being surrounded by enemies. I mean, you read his story in the Bible, I mean, he's just constantly seems to be running from enemies. He was running from Saul. 
He was running from the Philistines. He had to run from his son Absalom, who turned against him. And yet, even during those times of harassment, he knew that God gave him peace. He knew that God gave him serenity. David is saying that even during those stressful times, and even though I'm surrounded by enemies, I have peace. I have serenity because I have God. I have God. It's possible because of what peace is. I think it's important for people to hear this. Peace is not an absence of hostility. We have a tendency to think that peace means, well, I have no stressors. I have nothing going on in my life. Everything is calm, cool, and collected. That is not peace. That's not the peace that the Bible talks about. Because one, while you are on this earth, that's never going to happen. That is a dream that is not attainable. You will always have stressors. You will always have problems, trials, sure, they might come at different degrees and different ways at different times. But you will always, as long as you're on this earth, there's always going to be problems. And so peace and serenity is not the absence of hostility. What is it then? Peace is the supernatural quietness and rest that comes to our soul even during the times of hostility, not because of who we are, not because our circumstances change, but because we have a God who is bigger than us and is bigger than our circumstances. That's peace. And I think that's so important, I'm going to read that again. Peace and serenity, they are the supernatural quietness and rest that comes to our soul even during the times of hostility, not because of who we are, not because our circumstances change, but because we have a God who is bigger than us, we have a God who's bigger than our circumstances. We have a God who's bigger than our trial. We have a God who's bigger than our trouble. We have a God who's bigger than our enemies. And because we have that God, we have peace. And so think of this picture of what the psalmist, what David is trying to give us. It, it, it doesn't say that we're able to have peace and rest and able to sit down because there are no enemies around us. That's not what it says. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That means the enemies are still all around. And so what the psalm is implying is that, yeah, you know what? I'm completely surrounded by enemies. But I can still sit down and eat in peace and serenity because I have a God who is bigger. I have a God who has overcome. And in Christ, I am an overcomer. So yes, there are enemies, visible and invisible, around us. And yeah, the, you know, the invisible enemies, they do reflect and they do kind of mess, mess around, they influence with the, what's going on in the visible realm. But either way, if we're in Christ, we have the victory over them because Christ is the victor. You know, I can have peace and serenity and tranquility because Christ has already won. And if Christ has already won, and I'm, I'm in Christ, that means I've already won. Because the enemies, the trials, the tribulations, they can't do anything to me eternally. 
Yeah, they might mess around with me here on this earth, but they can't do anything to me eternally. Well, they could kill you. Okay, then I go to heaven. They can't take that away from me. If they harass me, they can't take Christ from me. I will always be in Christ. And through the Holy Spirit, Christ will always be in me. I am secure in Christ. What can the enemy do to me? Nothing. Yeah, but he could make your life difficult. Yeah, but the difficulties of this world are nothing in compared to the glories of, of heaven. Well, I could take this away from you and that away from you. Yeah, but I have Christ. I have everything I need. I have everything of eternal value. The enemy could kill you. Fine, I'll go to heaven. I'm finally done with this earth. What can the enemy do to us? If you're in Christ, nothing. And that's a testimony of the greatness of our God. If we're surrounded by enemies, which we are, it doesn't matter. Our God is with us. He is more than able to protect us so that we can be at peace. We can have serenity. And it's supernatural because we have a supernatural God. What a wonderful God we serve. But it doesn't stop there. Because then it continues, number seven, to talk about the shepherd's heavenly happiness. The shepherd's heavenly happiness. At the end of verse five, it says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And so the first work of happiness that the Lord does is his healing hand in our lives. He does some healing here in this earth, but ultimately it's talking about eternal healing. The healing of the eternal state. Because the idea of being anointed with oil comes from the context of patching up sheep when they get injured. As one author explained, at the end of the day when the sheep were led into the fold, the shepherd would kind of examine each sheep and if they had any injuries of any sort, they would put some oil on there for it to heal without infection. And so that, that's a picture of the tender mercies of our Lord. You know, at the end of the day, through all the battles that we go through, through all the injuries that we take, he looks us over and he finds our wounds and he touches us and heals us as only he can. Because there's a whole lot of different hurts. This, you know, it doesn't mean that, yeah, okay, every disease is going to be gone and all of that. But he can touch our soul. He is able to touch us physically. But he may choose not to. Then he'll touch us spiritually. But he will bring healing in some way, shape, or form. It might not be the healing we're looking for, but God heals according to his will. So you might have some wounds that are deep and painful. They need healing. It, you know, we need healing in our emotions. We need healing in our attitudes. We need healing from fear. We need healing from depression. We need healing. And, and, and God, he anoints our head with oil. He is able to tend to our wounds. Now, if you know anything about wounds, if you've ever been wounded, you know, it's not an automatically, oh, the wound's gone, put a little oil on it, hey, hey, it completely disappeared. It takes time. God will not necessarily heal us just like that. Lord, I have a bad attitude today. Cure me. Just like that, snap. Cure me. Whatever it might be, 
but he will heal. He'll heal his way. He'll do things his way, and that's the thing with God. You know, we like to, for God to do things our way. But guess what? Sometimes he doesn't do things our way. He does things his way. And part of his tender mercies is healing. But another part of this happiness is that God blesses us. And that does not mean that God blesses us materially or physically necessarily, although everything that you have, God has given to you. That is a blessing from God, from his hand. But he blesses us tremendously in other ways as well because the blessings are not, hey, hey, let me live a nice, comfortable life. The blessing is, bring me closer to you, O Lord. And he does. And I love how David puts it. He says, my cup overflows. You know, it doesn't say my cup is half full. It doesn't even say my cup is full. It says my cup is so full, that thing just keeps flowing and flowing over and over again. And when you're in Christ, you have that. But here's the thing we got to take notice of. Our concept of blessing is misconstrued. Our motivation for seeking blessing has become perverted. Because we think that blessing is about make me comfortable, make my life easy. That is not blessing. And so we're, we're, we're stressed about this life. We've become discontent with this life. And so we're thinking that God's blessings is give me something to distract me from this. Give me something, give me a toy, give me something, and that is what I'll find contentment in. But that's not a blessing. Because if your contentment isn't in God, you're not blessed. You're distracted. And let's face it, even when we get the toys, even when we get what the world would normally say is blessing, our soul still is empty. We're still seeking for something else because we know it will never fill the hole. Some of the poorest people on earth are the most blessed. Why? Because they see God's blessings in all shapes, sizes, and forms. It could be the blessing of seeing a beautiful sunrise and knowing that that is a reminder of the promises of God. It could be something as simple as a hug from someone. It could be that you have a spiritual insight into the Word that you've never had before. Those are blessings. Man, that our cup would overflow with those. We miss out on happiness because we miss out on what true blessings are. We have misconstrued ideas about blessings. But the thing is, God takes pleasure in blessing us His way. I mean, how often the Bible constantly tells us, pray to the Lord, be persevering in prayer. For example, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, I mean, this is a picture of our shepherd. Jesus says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So God is willing to bless. We just got to get our, our brain around what true blessing is. It's not the Maserati or whatever, whatever car you think is cool. But it's being content in the Lord, knowing that you are child of God. And you belong to him forever. And allow him to work in your life. When you're content in the Lord and how he works and he does his things his way, you are truly blessed. You are truly happy. And then finally, very quickly, I want to talk, number eight, the shepherd's permanent promise. The shepherd's permanent promise. David says in verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is a permanent promise. Goodness and mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what? You can't get more permanent than forever. Forever is pretty permanent. And God promises that that is where we are. Eternal life right now. In no way, shape, or form does this say that nothing bad will ever happen to me. Well, if goodness and mercy are following me, that means nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. That's not what it means. Goodness and mercy are following me because God is following me. God is with me. He is my goodness and he is my mercy. And the great mercies that he's shown us through Jesus Christ. The, the shepherd has promised that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your soul, and in Jesus alone, nothing else, he will show you goodness and mercy because you're going to live eternally with him. And that's a guarantee. You know, we, we humans, we make a whole lot of promises. And we fulfill a small percentage of them. Either we fail to fulfill them because we just don't want to. We fail to fulfill them because unforeseen circumstances. But we fail to fulfill our promises. Not God. He never fails to fulfill promises. And so he says, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life because you're in Christ. That's a promise you can, you can bank on. And, and I love the picture here because that word follow, it means to, to, to pursue relentlessly. I mean, God is saying that goodness and mercy is going to run after us like a cop runs after a robber. I mean, he ain't going to give up. And goodness and mercy are going to, you know, follow us that way. It doesn't mean we won't have hardships, but even in the midst of hardships, we see the goodness of God. We see the mercy of God, and in the end, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is our ultimate promise. We want God and his blessings on this earth. God says, yeah, but I have eternity. You're going to be in my presence forever. We don't talk about heaven a lot. We don't want to. Because in order to get to heaven, you've got to die. And I definitely don't want to talk about that. 
But guess where our ultimate hope is? You and I are going to die. I mean, I hate to be so, so blunt on Mother's Day, but listen, we are. And so our hope and our peace and our goodness and our mercy cannot just be for here. We have to find it there. Everything on this earth is temporary. It will not last. This battery microphone thing ain't going to last forever. It might not last for another 10 minutes. Who knows? But it ain't going to last. This body I'm learning is not going to last. I stand up. You hear me go, uh, uh, uh. I find a new pain somewhere just get, trying to get up. This body is not going to last. Ah, but heaven is going to last. And eventually, heaven and earth meet. There is our goodness. There is our mercy. Stop trying to find your blessings and happiness and peace on this earth. It will not come to you. Find your blessings and your peace and your happiness and your protection and your provision and everything in Christ and Him alone. <coughs> John said in his epistle in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, this is the testimony that God gave, that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. He who has the Son will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The question is, do you have the Son? I hope you paid attention to the baptism this morning. Because there was a great testimony of how it is done. Connor believed first. He trusted in Christ. And then he came down last weekend, down the aisle, and then he was baptized this week. He trusted in Christ first. That is salvation. That is where we get the gift of eternal life. Receive the gift. I'm afraid there's a lot of people who got things all turned around. They walked an aisle, they got baptized, but they didn't believe first. So the question is, do you have the Son? Well, I walked an aisle. I don't care. Do you have the Son? Well, I got baptized. Great. If you don't have the Son, you took a bath. You need the Son. You need Christ our shepherd, the one who walks with us in the dark valley, the one who gives us peace even when we are surrounded by enemies, the one who truly blesses us, the one who gives us goodness and mercy. And if you have not trusted in the Son, today is the day. Get that right. If you got things all out of sorts, well, I walked an aisle and I got baptized, but I never trusted in Jesus Get that straightened out. If you've trusted in Jesus, but you've never been baptized, 
Get that straightened out. Baptism is the symbol of the, of the covenant that you have with, with Christ, with God through Christ. So trust in Christ today. I'll be up front here during the invitation. I would love to tell you about believing in Jesus and finding his goodness and mercy, but maybe you're a Christian. You need some care from the shepherd. You have some wounds that need some oil poured on it. You, you have enemies. You have, you're weak. You're in a dark valley. Come to the altar and be pastored by the great shepherd. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.